Hello and welcome to the Seeker's World, the place where the young pupil, pioneer, explorer and scientist learn something new or explore the world. This is your host Shumakshi Sharma. Let's start our next chapter of the book My Journey Transforming Dreams into Actions written by APJ Abdul Kalam. Chapter 9 A brush with fire I have recounted in an earlier chapter some of my first experiences of dejection and failure and the lessons they held for me I have understood now that were after the feelings of disappointment subside and one gains perspective these experiences can change our ways of thinking they also deeply impact our souls i believe and bring us face to face with existential issues when that happens we need to embrace the events and analyze how we responded did we allow them to morally roll over us like waves or did we dive deeper into the matter and use it to gain insights into ourselves Needless to say it is usually events of great magnitude that shift something within us at a fundamental level when we are unable to live up to the high standards and expectations of those we value the most or get involved in matters that impact the lives of millions or when it is a matter of life and death these are the times when our sense of self and our ego witness deep changes I can recall a few such markers from my working life. When I was leading the project team for SLV3, the satellite launch vehicle, and for Agni, India's first indigenous missile, expectations from me and my team were sky high, both from the government and from the people of the country. The media scrutiny, though nothing compared to what it is today, was also intensive. SLB3 failed on its first launch and the Agni project too went through numerous ups and downs and witnessed pre-launch difficulties these were jobs that put the team and me under immense pressure and the stakes were very high not getting these perfect the first time around negated the many other successes we had achieved despite various hurdles Those days of introspection and analysis of the reasons for failure will remain deeply embedded in my memory. But what leaves an even greater impact is when people we know and work with or those on whom we depend to implement our ideas and design such uncommon dedication and even suffer in the process. I have seen this too in my working life and each time I have been moved beyond words by what I witnessed. In the 1960s and 70s, I was working at Thumba Equatorial Rocket Launching Station, TERLS, under the guidance of Dr. Vikram Sarabhai. We were making our own rockets, SLVs and satellites. We were also working with laboratories under the country in preparing payloads for the sounding rockets. Almost all physical laboratories in India were involved in the sounding rocket program each having its own mission and payload these payloads were required to be integrated with the rocket structure one of my colleagues at the payload preparation laboratory was sudhakar 
Once we were working on a pre-launched schedule and we were filling and remotely pressing a dangerous sodium and thermite mix. Like most days at Thumba, which is on the east coast, it was hot and humid. Sudhakar and I had been working for a long time. The heat was intense, but we were unmindful of it. After filling six such mixes, we decided to visit the payload room and inspect the progress of see progress to see for ourselves if the mix had been filled properly. Perhaps because we were so deeply immersed in our work, we forget a basic fact of science. Pure sodium, when in contact with water, can be dangerous. As Sudhakar and I learned in to inspect the mixture, a drop of sweat from Sudhakar's forehead fell into it. Before we could react, we were thrown backwards by a powerful explosion. It shook the room and both of us fell. For a few seconds, the shock paralyzed me. In a matter of seconds, a fire broke out from the explosion. In front of our horrified eyes, the laboratory was soon burning away fiercely. It was a fire due to sodium, so using water could not, would not help. Rather, it would add to the devastation. The laboratory was now nothing short of an inferno. Later, when I relieved the events, it all seemed to take place in slow motion. The accident, the explosion, and then the fire. In reality, all this happened within a space of a few seconds. Even as I got to my feet, Sudhakar showed a startling presence of mind. He broke open the glass window of the payload room with his bare hands. Then, without a moment's hesitation, he turned to me and pushed me out before proceeding to jump himself. These actions could not have taken more than a few minutes. Yet, if one considers the intensity of the explosion and the terrible heat of the fire by the time it took Sudhakar to figure out our escape and save me, he himself got terribly injured. Not only was he severely, severely burnt, but his hands were also bleeding from having broken the glass pane with no protection. As we staggered away from the room, Chach was now engulfed in flames. I held on to Sudhakar and thanked him for saving me, despite the intense pain he was in. He smiled and acknowledged my words. He went on to spend many weeks in hospital recovering from his injuries. As for me, not only had I been in the most terrible accident of my life, I was also experiencing for the first time the feelings of a survivor. Knowing that someone willingly and instinctively put his life at risk in order to save yours is an incredible humbling experience. People who have survived and been rescued from moral danger face a gamut of emotions from relief to guilt to gratitude. In my case, it also came with a feeling of added responsibility. If Sudhakar had thought my life was worth saving without minding his own safety, then I needed more than ever to see that all the work we are doing together did not suffer an instant delay. 
Sudhakar's story of courage has been an abiding source of inspiration for me. Whenever I feel myself giving importance to the small issues of life, when I find myself losing sight of the larger picture, perhaps losing sight of the fact that I am just one in the humanity of billions and less than a speck in this universe, at those times I remember this incredible man. He looked like any other, a scientist like all of us going about his job. Yet he rose above the most basic of fears, that of saving your own self and did something extraordinary. There is another incident that still leaves its painful imprint on my heart when I think about it. This was the Arakonam crash of 1999. It left a deep well of sadness within me and altered my ego structure forever. Soon after it happened, I absorbed its importance but buried my feelings under a mountain of work. It was only years later, while talking to a close friend, when we were writing a book together, that I could articulate my feelings and recount what had happened without sinking into regret and sadness. On January 1999, Two aircraft took off from Bangalore towards the Arakonam-Chennai coastline on a scientific mission for the Airborne Surveillance Platform ASP. One was an Avro with an aircraft surveillance system mounted atop as a motor dome, a dish-like structure fixed on the aircraft body. It climbed to 10,000 feet and set course for the coast where the radar testing was being carried out somewhere over the coastline. Fifteen minutes before the Avro took off, an AN-32 aircraft, which was the target aircraft for the radar testing, had also taken off from Bangalore. The testing happened for nearly one and a half hour, and everyone was happy with the performance of the radar system. The AN-32 landed at Arakonam at around 4 p.m. The Avro ASP aircraft also set course toward Arakonam at around this time, as it started its descent from 10,000 to 5,000 feet, all was well. But when the Avro was about 5 nautical miles away from the airfield, at an altitude somewhere about to, somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 feet, the motor dome fell off. The sudden imbalance made the aircraft unstable and it crashed immediately. There were eight men on board. All of them died. The news came to me when I was in the South Block in the meeting of a Defense Research Council. I left Midway and flew to Bangalore. Air Chief Marshal A. Y. Tipnis was also there. The days that followed were the most heartrending. I met the bereaved families, the young wives, some with infants. What consolation could I offer them? That their beloved husbands and sons had died in the course of defense preparedness? Is that of any solace to people when their roast fears have come true? I was speechless and shell-shocked when one young mother pointed to her baby and said, who will look after this young life? The mother of another asked me something that haunts me still. Why did you do this to us? 
The crash had been of such intensity that we could not locate any remains of the aged man. All we could do was prepare some coffins for the comfort of their families. We placed them in the Air Force Hall and somehow I made a speech bidding farewell to the eight men who had set out that afternoon to their jobs but never came home. I returned to my room that night exhausted and worn out with grief, worry and guilt. I wrote in my diary, The lamps are different, but the light is same. Worldly joys you re- return to the world, you remain in my innermost soul. As years passed after this incident, I moved from my office at South Block to Rashtrapati Bhavan. But there too, the cries of the widows, the grief of the devastated parents and the wailing of the infants remained with me. The fact that they did not even get to see the man for the last time and had to make do with symbolic coffins broke my heart when I thought about it. When grand plans for scientific and defense technologies are made, do the people in power think about the sacrifices the people in the laboratories and field have to make? Political rhetoric alone does not build a nation unless it is backed by the power of sacrifice, toil and virtue. That is true nation building. When we obtain positions of power over others, we believe that we have reached the pinnacle of success. But it is at this time that we need to look back and be aware of the multitudes on whose hard work and sacrifices we have built our castles. When I was speaking to my friend Arun Tiwari about this episode, he asked me, What is the message? My reply was, Don't pretend to be a candle, be a moth. Know the power hidden in serving. We seem to have got struck with external forms of politics and mistaking them to be nation-building. It is sacrifices, toil and value that are seldom seems that truly makes a nation. Now when I think back on these incidents, not only of their immediate impact but the events that unfolded subsequently of Sudhakar in hospital, of the compensation that the families received from the government for their fallen man, but only after a long drawn out process. I feel a profound aloneness too. In sadness, you are truly alone. That is when your true self is revealed to you and I found myself reaching out to a larger consciousness of the awareness that these questions about the nature of life and existence were triggering dissolutions and giving birth to new depths of wisdom. Each one of us has to confront death and heartbreak in our lives, but if there is something I have learned in my eight decades of life on this planet, it is that these moments are our true friends. Joy is fleeting, whereas true happiness and calm can come to us only after intense pain. When we have confronted ourselves in the mirror of our souls and understood the self, 